Hi, I'm Mary Worden, and this is Premier Health Now On Air, COVID-19 edition, a Premier Health podcast. This is the week of February 1st, 2021. While I understand we all problem solve and sort things out in different ways, my way to cope is talking. I like to talk through things, and that usually means I turn to some of my closest friends. I needed some chat therapy, if you will, the other day, and it got me thinking that I go to certain friends when I want certain types of answers. Do you do that? Do you go to specific people for specific types of support? If I need coddling, I go to this friend. If I need someone to give me calming words of wisdom, I go to this friend. If I don't really care what the right advice is at that moment and I really just want someone to have my back, I get in touch with my yes friend. But there are some times that I know I need a big old dose of truth and I need someone who's gonna keep it real with me, even if it's not what I wanna hear at that time. And in that instance, I know exactly who to call. While all of our COVID experts give us the facts and keep us updated, joining us again today is the one that I like to think of just like that friend who keeps it real with me. He is the Medical Director of Infection Prevention at Miami Valley Hospital, Dr. Steve Burdett. Hey, Dr. Burdett. So I know that you are dealing with an extremely challenging year, physically, mentally, emotionally, personally, professionally. What was one of the most challenging things that you've experienced over the last year? Probably just the the unknown. You know, we we didn't necessarily know how to, the best way to diagnose. We didn't know the best way to treat when we thought we knew the best way to treat, we later on learned that it wasn't the best way to treat. Um, not knowing what was going to happen when the vaccine was going to become available. It was just every day somebody would ask me a question and I would the answer would be unknown. And they were good questions. They were legitimate questions, but we just didn't know. And I like living in a world of knowing and and again, knowing where my limitations are. But with COVID, every day something came up that we just did not have an answer for. And I think that was probably the most frustrating. Now, Dr. Burdett, I know you're a football fan because you and I always talk about football when we chat. So let's talk about an announcement made by the NFL. They're saying that 22,000 fans will attend the big game in Tampa Bay this year. What are your thoughts on such a large gathering while we're still living in a pandemic? You know, it's if this was an indoor event, I would not be in favor of it. But this is an outdoor event. They're still going to require the masking. They're going to try their best to socially distance folks. You know, at 22,000, that's still going to be about 25% or so of stadium capacity. I believe that's a fairly decent sized stadium. So they're still going to be able to spread people out. Um, So I'm okay with it. Um, You know, again, we've got to try to balance the normalcy that we need to get back to with the protection that we still need because of uh, of the ongoing pandemic. Um, but I'm okay with increasing the numbers. I've not heard of any issues from the football stadiums during college football and whatnot that have allowed fans. I haven't heard of any outbreaks. 
you know, there was a very big victory by uh, Notre Dame earlier this year where all the fans stormed the field and they didn't have any issues from, from that. I'm not encouraging field storming or anything like that. Um, but I think if it's done properly in an organized manner, um, in an outdoor venue where people are socially distanced, I'm okay with, uh, with having people there at the Super Bowl. It sure does add a nice touch. Ah, oh, that answer gives me hope for normalcy, Dr. Burdett. And just for fun, who was your team? My team is the Browns, so we were out of it. I'll probably, um, I don't know, Patrick Mahomes is pretty fun to watch, so I'll probably root for the Chiefs. Okay, back to the virus. Ohio State University doctors pushed for caution after researchers announced the discovery of a new strain of the virus that they said is likely more contagious than previous variants of the disease. What, if anything, do we need to know about this strain of the virus? I think it's still too early to know too much. Um, Moderna, one of the makers of the vaccine, came out yesterday and said that it looks like their vaccine does provide protection, at least against the United Kingdom strain. Um, You know, there has been a lot of initial concern with some of these things throughout the uh, last year. And then as we've gotten more information, we've realized it's not all that different. Even here locally, there are times when our COVID numbers are not too bad, but the severity of illness is very serious. And other times when the COVID numbers are really high, but yet people aren't all that sick. So I've kind of wondered through all of this, again, if there's different, there's always been kind of different clades. At one point, there was up to 13 different subtypes of COVID virus that were kind of going around. And I've wondered if this hasn't just been going on the whole time. We just haven't necessarily known about it. So I am optimistic that the vaccine, at least from the majority of the new strains that they're seeing, is still going to be protective. Obviously, we need more information. We need to study that a little bit more. Um, But I think it's just something that people need to be diligent about. And also the fact that this is why we still, unfortunately, while I hate masking, we have to keep wearing our masks. We have to keep practicing social distancing. And then just pray that as the weather hopefully turns a corner, hopefully spring comes early this year and we can get back outside and doing less stuff in the in the inside area. Hopefully that will also help decrease the spread of COVID. Dr. Burdett, I love your hatred of masking because it's very relatable. I get it. We have to do it, but we don't have to like it. You mentioned Moderna made a statement about their vaccine most likely still being effective against a new strain. What about Pfizer's vaccine? Have they released any new information? I haven't seen anything officially from Pfizer. Um, Again, I've seen various experts. The spike protein, which is what both vaccines are uh, um, are meant to stimulate your response to, does look to be fairly stable amongst these different uh, strains of COVID. And there really is no reason... Um, why the Pfizer strain would be different than the Moderna strain in terms of its response, because both vaccines are set up almost identical with very, very minimal differences. The immunologic response that both vaccines stimulate um, is the same. And so if one vaccine covers these new strains, I would expect the other vaccine to as well. Guys, I'm breaking in here from the future. Two days after this interview was recorded, Pfizer did release a statement saying their vaccine is effective against new strains of the virus and that findings do not indicate the need for a new vaccine to address the emerging variants. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Dr. Burdett is going to get us caught up on everything we need to know about the vaccine. Stay with us. 
We know getting care comes with a little uncertainty right now. But behind these masks, you'll find unwavering dedication, compassion, and protection for you and the care we provide to you. You won't find us backing down. We won't stop. As long as you need us, we'll be here standing strong because it's who we are and care is behind everything we do. Our care lives here. Premier Health. And we're back. All right, get comfortable because we're going to stay on the topic of the vaccine for a bit. Dr. Burdett, from other conversations that we've had, I know you've already had your first dose of the vaccine. Can you tell us about your experience? So the first dose, um, I tolerated it very well. I did have, I got it in my left arm and my left shoulder hurt for about 48 hours. In the old days, kind of felt like a tetanus shot. Um, and after those 48 hours, I was fine. I have seen many folks who seven to 10 days or so after their dose, wherever they got the shot, their arm becomes red, it becomes swollen, the glands in, the, in your armpit get all swollen. That's the immunologic response to the vaccine. That is not an adverse reaction. That is the vaccine doing what it's supposed to do. And so if that happens to folks, uh, don't worry about it. Now, I leave here and again, as you said, a few minutes to go get my second shot. I will tell folks that are listening that um, a lot of people with the second shot do get fever for about 24 hours. They just feel blah. Um, again, that is the immunologic response. That is the vaccine doing what it needs uh, to do. I will tell you that while there are no formal recommendations to do anything before the vaccine, I do have Tylenol in my pocket. And I will be taking Tylenol uh, before I get my shot, and I'll plan on taking Tylenol for 24 hours afterwards. Again, that's not an official recommendation. That's just what I'm going to do and see if that helps abate some of the fever. Because anybody who's had a fever before knows you don't feel well. If your temperature is 102 degrees, you feel miserable. Um, so I'm going to try to avoid that. And again, I do want people to know that it only lasts for 24 hours. If you have a fever after the vaccine that lasts for 48 or 72 hours, something else is going on. The vaccine-related side effects are really pretty short in their, uh, in their duration. And while Tylenol is not an official recommendation, do you have any official recommendations for people on what they should do before and after getting the vaccine? I mean, in terms of the CDC or from, you know, large organizations, there is no official recommendations. Just, you know, go ahead and, and get your second shot. As long as you didn't have a significant reaction, you know, anaphylaxis, swelling of your tongue, you know, something serious after the first shot, go ahead and get the second shot. But anybody who asks me, I just talked to a nurse as I was walking over and uh, I told her what I just told you guys is that uh, I would I would tell folks to take some Tylenol, maybe if you want to take some Motrin or a leave, depending on what your medical problems are. Having something in your system, I think, for 24 hours is a reasonable thing because um, nobody wants to feel sick. And again, the, it's not a bad thing of the vaccine. It's a vaccine doing its job, and that's what we want. Um, but but you, we all have lives to do. We got to go to work. We got to do different things, and it's hard to do that when you have a fever. So. Um, just something to keep in mind. Is there a projected date when everyone in the general public, including average, healthy, young people, should have access to the vaccine? That, that's a bit of a moving target. Uh, the thought is that there is a third vaccine that should be um, 
that should receive the emergency use authorization here within the next month. Um, and when that third vaccine becomes available, that should get enough volume of vac or quantity of vaccine to where the every, anybody who wants to get it uh, can get it. So um, while it's just two vaccines between Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, you know, the projections are they will not have enough for the 330 million doses that are needed to vaccinate the United States. The third vaccine that is coming is a little different mechanism, and it's only a single shot or a single dose of the vaccine to stimulate the response. And so that's going to decrease the amount. Obviously, Moderna and Pfizer are two shots. And so you've got to create twice the volume of vaccine to be able to get the people vaccinated. Uh, so hopefully once this third one gets uh, gets approved and they're apparently they are ready to roll it out as soon as it is does receive its emergency use authorization, that is probably the time frame when we'll start looking to be able to open it up to anybody who wants the vaccine. So it's going to be months. It's not years. It's going to be months. Um, if I was to guess, you know, sometime during the spring. On the last episode, Dr. Marriott talked about the fact that this vaccine is not an end to social distancing and mask wearing. What are your thoughts on if and when things will level out and when will we see some normalcy in our everyday lives? Yeah, so the reason that you wear the mask even after the vaccine is because the vaccine keeps you from getting sick and getting symptomatic, but it doesn't necessarily keep you from getting the virus. So potentially, and this is still being studied, potentially even after the vaccine, you could spread the virus to somebody who hasn't had the vaccine. And again, you cannot get COVID from the vaccine. It's not a live virus vaccine, but you can get COVID from a family member. You will not get sick after you get the vaccine, hopefully, but you could still spread it. So that's why we still have to keep masking and have to keep our social distancing. When can we go back to normalcy really depends. It's multifactorial, um, but the biggest thing is going to be, number one, we got to make sure the vaccines in real practice actually work as well as they did in the studies. And, um, you know, that will be determined over the next couple months. But really, it's going to depend on what the population decides to do in terms of getting the vaccine. You know, healthcare workers right now are only taking it at about a 50% clip. You know, nursing home workers were only taking it at a 25% clip. And if the general population only gets it at 40 to 50 percent, you know, there's still going to be a lot of folks that are still able to get and spread the virus to where we will still continue to see active disease. And as long as we're seeing significant levels of active disease, the masking and the social distancing is going to probably continue. So a lot of unknowns, but I think the biggest thing to me is what percentage of the population agrees to get the vaccine. Because if we can get the amount of folks that are immune to the virus at a high enough level, that's when the outbreak starts going away. And that's when we stop seeing the significant numbers of infection. And Dr. Burdett, you touched briefly on this, but what, if any, are the differences in the vaccines that are currently available? They're very, very similar. If you get down to the very basic biochemical structures, there is very, very subtle differences. Uh, again, you've got to be a, a biochemist to really even appreciate that. I can't even announce the chemical structures and all that kind of stuff. They're very long and complex with all sorts of numbers. Uh, but the mechanism by which they work, the way that they are coded, the, the process that they go through is very similar. And if you look at the data between the two vaccines, 
you know, it was almost as if it was the same vaccine done in two different studies. The efficacy was very similar. Um, again, the side effects were very similar. Um, there are, again, very subtle differences, but nothing nothing of great notice. The big di biggest difference for the audience would be the duration between when you get the first shot and the second shot. It is a little different between the two vaccines. So just make sure if you, whichever one you get, you work with your healthcare provider to know when you get the second dose. All right, Dr. Burdett, we did this on the last episode, but we're trying to combat some myths that we're hearing out there. So we want your expert opinion on the following. Myth number one, COVID-19 vaccines cause infertility or miscarriage. Thoughts on this? Yeah, so neither study en enrolled um, pregnant women. So that has not been studied in these in the various clinical trials, okay? Also, these studies have only been, they were started in June. And so there's no way, you, there's no way to show there'd be infertility in such a short order. The way the vaccine works, the vaccine is out of your body within days after the vaccine. The genetic changes are this, the type of thing that our body does with viruses, with bacteria and whatnot all the time. So number one, there's no reason to suspect this is going to have any impact on fertility. Um, and as terms of miscarriage, I just refer folks to the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. They have a very detailed, all you do is Google that. ACOG is the name of the organization. ACOG COVID. You Google those two words and you will find the National uh, Obstetrics Society's recommendations and they recommend vaccinating pregnant women. So uh, they are the experts in pregnancy, and I will stand by what they recommend. Myth number two, I already had COVID-19 and I have recovered, so I don't need to get a COVID-19 vaccine when it's available. Yeah, that is a very common thing. We test antibodies in patients periodically in the hospital who come in with confirmed COVID, and it is very common for people not to have developed an immunologic response after the virus. Uh, I've seen studies where it's between 15 and 20% of people do not develop an immunologic response for whatever reason. So because it's not 100% after infection, uh, the recommendation is even if you've had confirmed COVID, go ahead and get the vaccine um, because hopefully between the prior infection and the vaccine, now you will have um, observable immunity through the antibodies. It's possible that when you get COVID, you have different type of immunity from what's called T cells um, that are very hard. We cannot detect those or test for those. Um, but because not everybody develops immunity, the recommendation is to go ahead and receive the vaccine. And hopefully between that, it might then give you longer protection, but it, could, it will hopefully pick up the folks who do not develop um, immunity from the first infection. Myth number three. COVID-19 vaccines will alter my DNA. Yeah, so they, they do not. Again, the type of cell that they work within is called an antigen-presenting cell or a dendritic cell. And that's what these cells do their entire life. And all that that body does is take that and turns that into the protein that our body then develops the immunologic response. It does not incorporate into the DNA. It does not incorporate into your body. It only works on that antigen-presenting cell. It does that over a handful of days, and then it is gone. So no, it does not change your DNA. Myth four, 
More people will die as a result of a negative side effect to the COVID-19 vaccine than they would actually dying from the virus itself. Yeah, so the vaccine, the data is being, you know, obviously very closely monitored. Um, it is the anaphylactic, you know, there's been millions of shots that have been given. Um, I believe we're up to eight or 10 million doses, if not higher. And the, the risk of developing anaphylaxis is like two or three in a million. Out of those people who have a side effect um, from the vaccine, it's like 80% develop it while you're sitting there for that 15 to 30 minutes after your shot, making sure you don't have any side effects and it is treatable. I would encourage folks to watch the CDC, watch the medical literature, do not watch what is reported on various websites because do people die in nursing homes after the vaccine? They did, but again, they might've received a vaccine in somebody who was in hospice. You know, they were very aggressive in trying to get people vaccinated. And so be very careful in what you utilize for monitoring of these side effects, because there is a lot of, I hate to use the, the term of the last handful of years, but there is a lot of fake news out there. Um, the CDC is aggressively monitoring this. And again, so far the side effects have been early. They have been identified about 80% of the time when people are still at their doctor's office or where they were getting the vaccine and they are treatable. So, you know, we were up over 400,000 deaths from COVID. Um, maybe it's even more than that by now. Um, but for a risk that's one in a, you know, one to two in a million, or maybe it's three in a million, um, and it's very treatable is a lot better than what we see with COVID every day, because I can throw any sort of treatment at these COVID patients. And unfortunately, if they have bad COVID, none of my treatments work very well. Thank you, Dr. Burdett. And as always, what is one last thing you'd like to share with our listeners? I guess I would just leave with the encouragement that, um, you know, here in the Dayton area, our our COVID numbers are, are improving. You know, the number of cases that we're seeing within the hospital is going down. Um, so that means that people are doing what they need to do in terms of social distancing, wearing of their mask, washing of their hands, you know, avoiding large crowds. So, you know, when springtime gets here, when the weather is nicer, we can, you know, get outside. You can do some more things with family because you can be outside, be protected and eat more easily distance. So just hang in there. Again, what the community is doing is working. I'm encouraged by our numbers. Uh, but we got to stay diligent. We can't uh, we can't go back to the old life quite yet, um, or the numbers can and will go up. Thank you so much, Dr. Burdett. Appreciate it. I enjoy them. They're good questions, and we'll do it again in, I think, a couple weeks. So even though we don't always want to hear it, sometimes we need that keep it real friend to remind us that even though things are hard, we're heading towards better days if we do things right. Yeah, I don't want to feel like crap after getting the second dose of the vaccine either. But just like Dr. Burdett says, that means it's working. And that sounds much better than wondering what COVID might do to my body. Instead of thinking of it as the difficult way, maybe we need to start thinking of this as the only way to get back to normal. Because once we stop the spread, I can have all of these chat therapy conversations with my friends face to face instead of over video chat or a phone call. And I really miss that. 
and I can't wait to get back to pre-COVID activities. So please wear your masks, social distance, wash your dang hands, and really consider getting the vaccine when it's available to you. You can get more information 24-7 at premierhealth.com COVID-19. And we want you to get the information you need about COVID-19 vaccines from people you can trust. Visit our COVID-19 vaccine hub for up-to-date interviews with our physician leaders, fact sheets, news, and more about COVID-19 vaccines at premierhealth.com vaccine. This has been Premier Health Now On Air, COVID-19 edition, a Premier Health podcast. Our care lives here.